Amen. Tough stuff, right? Maybe not as tough as last week. And I want to I go back to, to Danny's sermon for a bit because I feel like Danny did a great job of serving Paul's purpose of explaining to all of us through the Corinthians this idea of uh, what is wrong. And the what is really important. When you understand what the problem is, you can at least formulate a plan to get away from the problem or solve the problem. And uh, to Danny's point, he said, it feels like Paul in this section is, is writing in all caps, right? He's just yelling this whole thing. I'm, I'm shouting, I'm upset. In, his, uh, in Danny's scenario, he's in this prison cell and his friend Epaphras comes by and he just starts pontificating and he is just going after the Colossians. I've heard about what's going on. I'm here to tell you what to do. Here's what your problem is. And that was Danny's section. Danny gave us the what. And the hard part is the what is tough to swallow, but it's not as tough to swallow if you understand the how. So if you say, here's what your problem is, the next response that you get is, okay, now how, how do I fix it? And that's what Paul goes into in this next section. So we're levying this idea of the what versus the how. And in order to do that, Paul gives you hard truths and he gives you soft truths. And the hard truth is, you have a problem, I'm gonna put that problem directly in front of you, you can't avoid it. Now that you've heard it, you've seen it, you've felt it, you know that it's real. But I'm not gonna leave you at just the what. And so he goes into the section which Patty just read, which is, here's the how. If you wanna know how to stop doing that, I'll give you the, the areas you need to avoid and I'll give you the space you can go into. And I'm gonna walk us through that today in case that's you. I don't want you to hear again that uh, the book of Colossians was written for you. It wasn't. I don't want you to hear the book of Colossians was written to an Adventist church. It wasn't. And I don't want you to hear that Paul, the Adventist, wrote this idea to a bunch of people like us here today. He wasn't. He didn't. He wrote this book to people back then. And for whatever reason, as we look over Paul's shoulder, we see ourselves reflected backwards. And if that's you, and if you hear any of this and like, I, I am kind of struggling with that, that's the hard truth. The hard truth is that does sort of define who I am. That does, that does talk about the season that I'm in. That is the hard truth. The soft truth is you don't have to stay there. So I was here two weeks ago to talk about this idea that everything is already done in the past tense, right? It was already done for you. It is complete. It is finished. You have already been baptized. You already died to your sins. God has already come, taken those sins from you. There's nothing more you have to do. But that doesn't necessarily walk you away from the problem. I think the hard part is we tell people to bring your burdens to the cross and leave them at the foot. Have you all heard this before? Leave your burdens at the foot of the cross. That's a beautiful thing. I love that sentiment. But the problem is we're so used to carrying stuff that as soon as you put everything down, they rarely tell you what to do next. Where it's like, well, just go. Like, go and be free. Like, oh, where? And for how long? And my arms feel like they're supposed to be holding something. I don't know. There's something about those burdens that were comforting, like a, like a weighted blanket. Have you seen the ads for this? Just get like a heavy blanket. And it's like, this makes you feel better because it just presses you down into whatever it is you're doing. Like, yay, I'm better. I think that's the same thing. Like, if you're going to put those burdens down, 
and the hard truth is I had them, that's why my arms hurt, I feel like Jesus should be there with a weighted blanket to be like, in case you need it. And we all go, yeah, I do, thanks. And maybe that's the soft part of the soft truth is that it comes with a soft weighted blanket. And that's what we're gonna go through today. We're gonna go through both the hard stuff and the soft stuff in order to get where it is that Paul is coming from. But to get that, we have to sort of dig into the text a little bit. You have to know that Paul is upsetting the social structure here in this chapter of Colossians. He's here to basically say there are some things that you're already comfortable with that you probably shouldn't be, and the basis by which you're comfortable isn't actually what I intend for you. And it comes from understanding this section uh, here in Colossians where he talks about um, the differences between things. So it says uh, in Colossians 3.11, it says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Nothing like a Sabbath morning sermon about circumcision, am I right? I mean, that's just the dream. But Paul lists it. And so we have to take it seriously. It's this idea of Greek and Jew. But the thing is, it's, there is not this thing anymore. So you think what you understand is there's Greek and Jew. There's these guys and those guys. There's the Scythians, the slaves, the free, and the barbarians. Now here's the thing. If you understand the history that comes from this, you understand why this list looks the way that it does. Because Paul does this in other places. He keeps using Greek and Jew because he understands that dichotomy. You know, being somebody who upheld held the law and somebody who is outside of the law lifting up Jesus. Trying to work through all of that has to somehow make sense within context. You can do whatever version you want to. You can decide like, well, there's richer people and poorer people or there's people who drive red cars and people who drive blue cars. Whatever your version is, we have these divisions and the divisions are there in society and Paul is basically coming through and clipping all the things that keep them separate. You think they're this way and this way. I'm here to tell you they're exactly the same. The Scythians, I wanna take a minute to talk about because they're on this list because the Colossians have decided they are different than them. And we know this because the Scythians had this belief system that said, we're all for whatever, and everything is usually better high or drunk. I, this blew my mind. I, I genuinely thought to myself, there's no way this is real. Turns out the Scythians were one of the first people to use cannabis and hemp in a, a recreational way. So, I don't know, again, looking over the shoulder of people who are talking to the Colossians, some of that rings true here in Boulder. And we have this idea of like, well, but we're the Adventists. We don't do that stuff. And so we sit separate. In a lot of ways, people will be like, ha, here's where he's gonna preach the health message. No, but you know, fill in the blank. You've already heard my stance on this. So there's this idea that the Colossians and the Scythians are on opposite sides because their whole thing, keep in mind, he's writing to a group of people that aren't allowed to drink certain things, aren't allowed to eat certain things, are told to stay away from certain places, are told to go to certain places on certain days, and those are the things that will get them saved. And so they have set themselves apart so far from the rest of the community that basically there's the Colossians and those folk. And Paul is here to say, you can do it any way you want. You want to talk about people who follow the law and don't follow the law? Well, I've already covered that. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. By the way, they're the same thing. You think it's different because they speak a different language? Neither Greek, 
Greek nor Jew. There's no difference between you and the Scythians. I mean, can you imagine the gall? I, I am not one of them. And Paul's here to say, but yes, you are. To which they say, prove it. And he says, but Christ is in all and Christ is all. So there's no line anymore. You think this is so important for you to be this, for you to decide that you are not that, that you have built walls and barriers between you. And I'm here to tell you, your walls are crumbling down. They're no good here. And so he is upsetting the social balance in the room. And he's also unbalancing the scales as he does it. Because Paul is going to do this thing over and over and over again where he's going to put something versus something else. And in everyone's mind, it's like, oh, there's the battle. That's the thing. It's, it's Colossians versus the Scythians. Like, okay, but we're, we're going to win for sure. And he's here to say, when this, you do this balance thing where you think like, I think I did that opposite. I think if you win, it goes down, right? Yeah, you're heavier weight. So this is the Colossians. This is the Scythians. You think it's like this. I'm here to cut off your understanding of the scale, and you're both on equal ground. You can put as much weight as you want on this or not. Nothing's going to change. God loves you the exact same way. And so he's here to kill the verses, and he's going to do that by showing you there is no weight on either side, and if there is, it's on the side of God. So anything that is not of God has no weight. So you can be disappointed, and I can show you all the ways that God wins and you lose, or I can just be here to say there's no division because God's in everything. So any argument you have, invalid now, which is genius. It's one of those, like, Paul became like the earliest politician where he's like, whatever you're going to say, you're wrong. Why? Well, because Jesus. And then, like, the crowd applauds. Like, we vote for that guy. I wish we could do that now. That would be incredible for me to be able to just make arguments. I know you are, but what am I? And then I just go, I'm Jesus. And then I win. The ultimate comeback. Kids, that's for you. You're bullied. Look to Paul. Let's talk about a couple of the the verses that he starts with. He starts with this idea of light versus shadow. And light versus shadow shows up three times in Colossians to this point. And he does that on purpose. He's constantly trying to put light versus the shadow. But we already know the answer. Like, as I'm sitting up here, can you all see me? Is there a shadow? No. Why? Because I'm bathed in light. So what happens to a shadow when you're bathed in light? Clink. So how can there be a versus here? How can there be light versus dark? If I am bathed in light, then there is no shadow on me. You are making a horrible point by trying to think, yeah, but the darkness at a certain point, like, but what happens when the light shows up? Boom. There's no activity here. There's nothing you can fight against. And so Paul constantly puts the light into the light. That's a weird way to say that, but he's taking the identity of the light, capital L, and putting it into a place where people can see it. If you understand this light, 
then you'll understand that darkness has no power here. And that's one of the first ones that, that he works with. Uh, he does it here in Colossians 1, verse 12. It says, the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Where are the saints in the darkness? It doesn't exist. It's, it's not even a thing. You can't be like, I am a saint. Now I'm going to go into the darkness where the light cannot find me. I will be away from God's glory. It's, it's an oxymoron. You can't have a saint in the darkness. And so he lifts up the saints who are in the light. And that's your job. Your job is to be that person and to find a way through it. So the reality is you were meant to live in the light. Past tense. You were meant to live in the light from the beginning. But for whatever reason, the Colossians, maybe us here today, whatever the division is that we have created for ourselves, well, we live in the light and they live in the darkness. For whatever reason, these things exist in imbalance. And Paul's here to redirect all of it, to say, you were always meant to live in the light. Now you just need to figure out how to do that. And in order to do that, he'll walk you through why it's important. Because here's the difference between the what and the how. You have to start with the why. Why is it important? Paul, Paul says this thing, it hurt my feelings, but why? Why was it so painful? And he thankfully walks us through each and every part of it in that he wants us to stop doing the divisions. He wants to promote a divisionless gospel. If we can get to a place where it's not you versus me or us versus other or them versus other people, it will be a lot better and so this section in uh, Colossians 3 is intended to be divisionless. It's intended to be something that we have to battle against. And so if we battle divisions, we need to figure out all the ways in which once we start dismembering, dismantling, taking apart these walls, why we will be better for it. And Paul walks us through it. So the idea that, that battling division and it being relevant is the same idea of the Scythians. This idea that there's somebody. Take inventory for a second. Think of yourself and then think of the person who is the most unlike you. Don't say it out loud. I probably should have started with that. And don't point and don't look either. Don't just be like, I'm thinking of you. We're opposite. Just think of that person. And then think of all the reasons why you don't like that person because they're always, and I just can't believe that. And the nerve for them to, right, got it? You have that argument? We do that all the time. That's like what showers are. I think they're intended to like make you clean and then just like rev up your imagination and be like, I should have said this if I ever get the chance. And you're just yelling at the bar of soap because it makes you feel better. That's this, that's the relevant, like those are the barriers we're here to talk about today. This is not just the Colossians, this is you as well. So if there's someone you thought of, use that as fodder. If it's a group of people, if it's them at any given point, if they have been relegated to someone else, they are your Scythian. And that's the barrier. Why this is relevant is because you could actually think of somebody. The fact that you had somebody in mind, the fact that even for a second you were like, but I've already forgiven them, I'm a... I'm a Christian woman, and I, mm, God is working on me. Whatever that thing is, the fact that you had to have the thought after the thought means that there are barriers we have to disassemble. 
And so we have to talk about the imperativeness of this idea to break down barriers. The reality check in this is it's not healthy. It's not healthy. We're not actually supposed to maintain all of these things. We're not supposed to be standing watch across a demilitarized zone to make sure that somebody doesn't encroach or we don't encroach so that all these things that we've got built up, stored just in case that thing happens, that's not actually the way you're supposed to live. You're not actually meant to do that. So the imperativeness of this is life and, and the goodness of life and the lack of darkness in life. The more you build these barriers, the more you're keeping out the things that need to be in, and the more you're keeping in the things that probably shouldn't be in there. This comes down to very simple math. Think of it this way. Barriers between you and God equate to barriers between you and others. You ever thought about this? Where like you're going through like some rough life patches, you're going through a season where things aren't going well. You're like, listen, I'm gonna put God and that whole like church thing to the side and then things don't go as well with you and other people. And it's because we don't have that thing that we're connected to. It's kind of like having power out of a wall outlet until you plug that in, that positivity. You're running off of battery life and you're like, that's fine, I, I don't need it. This thing will hold an eight hour charge and then eight hours goes by. And you're like, that's fine, I'll just put it on low power mode. And then that goes by and then it gives you that like, 2%. You're like, that's fine. I can still, I'll power it off for now and then, and then I'll come back to it when I need it later. But the problem is it's always better to have it than to need it, than to need it and to want it. And so that relationship we have with, you, with God allows us to do things differently. But if it's sort of a cascading effect, barriers between you and God equate to barriers between you and others, but barriers between you and others create a barrier between other people and God because that's what you're here to do. You're here to have this interaction, Sandy and I talking to each other, and she sees that like, man, there's something positive about this. I wonder where that comes from. That's me hopefully reflecting God, this light that I am bathed in, bouncing off of me and going to Sandy or whoever. That positivity is actually giving them an opportunity to understand who God is. And so if I have a problem between Sandy, then potentially I'm keeping Sandy from understanding better who God is. So the imperative goes deeper and deeper and deeper, but it goes one further and it's the same thing. Problems or barriers between one another create a barrier between myself and God. It's the inverse in that if I'm not good with Sandy or I'm not good with my wife, then because I should see more of God's goodness and I don't, that light isn't reflected off of them to me and then I get further and further into my darkness. And that's where separation comes from and that's where the echo chambers are created where we just think, well, I understand this person. I get where they're coming from. I totally get it. I don't even have to talk to them. I know what their thought is and it's dumb. So I don't even have to understand it. They're them, I'm me, I'm different, they're diff uh, and they're different in a bad way. And we just do this over and over again until we're completely divided. And so this healthiness comes out of this idea, going back into the text, kind of psychoanalyzing what Paul is doing. All of these things that we start to talk about have a dark shadow to them. And it's when we understand 
what the shadow is that helps us understand why it's ultimately important. Think about all of these things that are here. So I'm here in uh, verse 5 of chapter 3, right? Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, uh, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the way in which you once followed, and you were, you were once living that life, but now you must get rid of these things. Here's the how. Here's the what. Here's the problem. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. Have you ever thought about where those ideas, those feelings come from? I think in my head, and this is the thing that I struggle with, I talk to my wife about this all the time, this idea that like everything I do is logical, like it has a reason, and I can spell it out for you. Well, like this thing happened and then I thought about it and then my emotion came from my thought, right? Does that make sense to anybody else? It turns out that's not true. Like empirically that's not true and that, that sucks for me because like I wanna be able to think that I understand it and if I'm told that you can't think to the point you understand your emotions, then I'm lost. Like I have nothing to hold on to. But the reality is a lot of this has a piece that holds the truth. If you track back all of these things, anger, malice, wrath, slander, abusive language, lying, it all comes from one singular emotion. Does anybody know what that emotion is? It starts with the letter F. Fear. Did you know that the moment before you get angry, before you can even think about it, you, uh, you experience the emotion of fear? If someone comes to me and says, Jay, we heard that sermon you preached two weeks ago. We heard you told the church you don't believe in the Sabbath. You're fired. I'm going to instantly get angry, or so I think. Because I start building up my defenses. Yeah, but even before I recognized it, I experienced fear. Because I realized in that moment, I've lost my job. What does that mean for my calling? What does this mean for my social reputation? Where do I get a paycheck? All of these thoughts happen in rapid succession even before I get to anger. And the thing that makes me angry is that I'm mad about being afraid. I'm not even really mad at the person I'm going to fight against. I'm mad at myself for tapping into that darkness that somebody went, it's kind of dark in there, isn't it? And I went, nuh-uh. That nuh-uh, a millisecond ahead of time was, they've seen me for who I am. And I must do more to build a wall so they can't keep seeing me. All of these things come from that. Anger from fear. Wrath, this idea that I have to get revenge. It's, I'm afraid that justice won't be served. Malice, this idea that I want you, I want harm to come upon you is because I'm afraid that the harm that came upon me was for nothing. So I have to then create retribution for you. Slander, this idea that I talk about you behind your back, I'm afraid that my reputation isn't as good as yours. So I need to bring you down instead of bringing me up or both of us up or not worrying at all that either one of us is up or down. And instead of thinking of this win-loss thing, just be okay with the fact that Jeanette got a compliment and I didn't, and that's okay. But I'm afraid it's not about me, Ooh, so I have to say something about Jeanette. I don't know if you heard about Jeanette, but... 
And that's where that comes from. All of these stem from fear. The imperative of battling the barriers between us is that it is making us unhealthy people. And that's what Paul is here to do. He is here to make you healthy. He is here to talk you out of your psychology of fear. Because a life lived in peace is infinitely better than a life lived in fear. When you do the balance again of fear versus peace, fear will always lose. Because peace is infinitely greater. And fear is only temporary. And fear only comes from other people talking darkness into your lighted moments. But if you're standing in the light, you don't have to fear fear itself. And that's the one thing they say, like, what's the one thing you have to fear is fear itself? I think Paul is here to make the opposite effect, which is pretty exciting because I would love not to fear fear at all. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Which means this, your reality is you were never meant to live in the darkness. Before it was, you were always meant to live in the light. Be reminded that you were never meant to live in the darkness. And if you're not supposed to be in the darkness and you're meant to be in the light, then we've got to start working on how. So that's the why. The why is because at a certain point, this isn't good for you, it isn't good for me, it isn't good for us. We shouldn't have these verses moments. We shouldn't live in fear, we should live in peace. So let's talk about how you get from one to the other, because maybe today you are living in fear. Maybe you're aware of it, and maybe you're not. Paul is here to walk you out of the darkness and into the light, and I'm here to share that with you. And it's the idea of restrained living versus renewed living, and he puts those side by side. Restrained living is this idea that you live in anger and malice and slander, and you're lying because you're afraid of all of these things. Maybe you're trying to hide your sins, like... uh, Sexual impurity, passion, evil desires, greed, all of these things are things that we have the ability to do. And maybe you're so afraid of somebody finding out about them that you live in constant fear. Paul is here to say that is restrained living. And instead, I'm here to talk to you about renewed living. And this idea comes from where all of these pieces are. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. All of those things keep you away from the light. And then there's the opposite. And this is where Paul goes from speaking in all caps to speaking in soft tones to make sure you understand it's not just about the do's and the don'ts and this and that, but it's actually trying to build something better, safer, stronger, more permanent. And to do that, he will actually walk you through what renewed living is. And so he talks about this idea of compassion, of kindness, of humility, living in meekness, patience, forgiveness, thankfulness, love, peace, and hope. It's the difference between something you're meant to do and something you're not meant to do. And in order to explain this, describe this, I've had my friends here setting up behind me. I want to actually work this out with you, to talk about this in real time so that you can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it. I, this is, you know, jury rigged together, but here's this idea. Um, Peter, can you kill the lights for me? Okay. Uh, word of warning, don't look at this light directly. 
Here's a thousand watts, a whole bunch of lumens. And if this is the only light in the room, then this is the one thing we get to focus on, right? And it's where darkness is dispelled, but there are still corners, kind of where Ryan just came out of. You know, there was the darkness and he's, he's walked into the light, right? And then we do this thing that we think is going to fix everything else because we're not great with the light. And so we put things in front of it, like this idea of sexual immorality, it's gonna somehow make us feel better. And so we put it directly in front of the light. I think I'm actually making people blind, so I'm gonna shut that one off before you all go blind. This idea of greed, we put greed somehow in front of it because we think, well, if we have enough money, then everything will be okay. And then I'm upset about some stuff, so I get angry, and then I put my anger somehow in front of it, and that'll block everything out. And then there's wrath, because I didn't get my way, and I'm upset about not getting my way, because I'm right and they're wrong. Then there's malice, because not only are they wrong, but I would need to find a way to make sure, you know, they get hurt, because, you know, what good is revenge without a little bit of pain? Slander, because words hurt, and sticks and stones, and all of that, but if you don't have sticks and stones, you might as well throw words. Obscene talk, telling somebody, you know, what you think about them in the most crude way. And then you lie about all of it in order to somehow make it better because you don't want to admit that all the things you did were so wrong and so dirty. And what happens? Well, that light went away. And now you're kind of just standing in the darkness. And these are the things that have kept you from seeing it. But the problem is you weren't meant to live in the darkness. You were meant to live in the light. So you've got to get rid of, this is the how, you've got to get rid of this stuff and go back to the understanding of what the light is and why the light is important. And it's hot and it's bright. And it seems like something I should get myself away from. But in reality, this is what I meant to do. So instead, I use compassion. And I act in a compassionate way. And things get a little bit better, or humility, instead of putting myself first, I decide to put other people first. Or I take this idea of patience, instead of losing my temper and saying that it's not fair, I take a deep breath, or I take kindness to the next level, and instead of doing the thing that I think I should do, I go the extra mile and I turn the other cheek, or forgiveness, instead of taking it out on somebody, deciding that we're all broken people and going with that instead or thankfulness, just wondering why I'm, I get to live another day even when things aren't going well, at least I get to live within it. Or peace, taking more of a breath, taking more of a positivity or love, doing something in goodness instead of negativity. And then what happens? While none of these things are the light, you can still see the light through it. And this is how you get back to the path. Start with love, work your way backwards. It's not as bright, but at least you can see through it. But I think everybody who, who encountered Jesus or God on the mountain always had to turn away. And this is what I think they saw. They were looking through these things in order to better understand who God was. And the reality is this, all of this stuff, Peter, you can actually bring the lights back up. All of this stuff we think is more important. We think it's the thing that we're supposed to do. 
You can put anything you want here. Instead of you know, sexual immorality, put, put the Sabbath, put healthy diet, put whatever you want to put into it because you think this is the thing that makes the rest of it better. But the reality is this stuff usually gets in the way of the light. And that's not what it's about. It's not about these things. It's not about the barriers. It's about the things that bring us together. It's the things that actually draw us closer to one another. And this is your route. It's none of this. It's all of this. Because ultimately, you were always meant to live in the light. And so Paul is here to take apart your barriers. Paul's here to say, this isn't what you're supposed to do. Here's all the things you think you were supposed to do, but you're not. He says it in Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then he says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. It's the things that block the light, that cast that shadow like we did here in the middle of the sanctuary. These things are just the shadow if you want the good stuff, if you want the best stuff, if you want to know how to get yourself out of this spot, be reminded of this. You are meant to live in the light. So if there's anything you're doing that's blocking the light, stop. And I'm here to tell you, it's your anger. It's, it's all of these things that you keep hidden. It's all the things that you do in the dark. You need to get rid of those things and you need to put those things in the light. And you do that through love and compassion and patience and humility and meekness. It's this idea that the Colossians believed that everything that was valuable was something tangible. Paul's here to spin the whole thing again and say, it's not actually the tangible versus the intangible, it's the tangible intangibles. You don't know what love is, but you can experience it. You don't know what hope is until you have it. And he's here to say there's an abundant amount of all of it and it divides none of you into I have more or I have less. Really, ultimately, it comes down to you've got to feel it to believe it, and that's tough for a logical person like me because I want to be able to think it. I want to be able to know it. I want to be able to say if I have it, if I can touch it, it's real. But for Paul, he says, unfortunately, it's something inside, it's, and it's something you have to care about. And if you don't care about it, things aren't going to go well. Paul and Dr. Seuss seem to come together in this understanding through the book, The Lorax, and this very important word of unless. And Paul gives you a choice, and you have that same choice here today, unless. And the quote is this, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And so Paul, Paul meets us in between the hard truth and the soft truth and says, you got to get up. You got to get up from where you are. You've got to decide if you're going further into the darkness or if you're going into the light. And if you want to go to the light, I can show you how to get there. And if you want to go to the darkness, just keep doing all the things that you're doing. But the reality is the alarm's going off. You've got to start your day. And in order to start your day, you got to get dressed and if you're gonna get dressed, choose the thing that is the light. Don't choose the thing that you've been going to. There's nothing down there. It's just more darkness, abundant darkness. 
but Paul and God are promising abundant living, abundant renewed living. And so his encouragement to you as it was to the Colossians is, it's time to get dressed for abundant living and to walk away from the things that are anything but.